Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit, the Skylight Books podcast series where we talk to authors all over the world. We bring them to you in your room, in your headphones. Uh, We're so excited today. Um, We have another great conversation coming up for you. Uh, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Maddie Gobo, the events manager, but you know that if you're listening to the podcast because I'm on the podcast all the friggin' time. Um, but here I am again today with Daniel W.K. Lee and Shane Lucas. I'm going to read their full bios in just a moment, but hello and welcome to the podcast, Daniel and Shane. Hello. Oh. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, all right, so Daniel is a poet, so we are going to have a, a conversation about his new book of poetry today. He's going to read us some poems and he and Shane will be in conversation. Um, and we are looking forward to that. So I'm going to go ahead and read the bios and then I will uh, get out of the way so these two can start talking. Daniel W.K. Lee is the author of The Anatomy of Want, published in November 2019 by Rebel Satori Press. A third generation refugee, he was born in Kuching, Malaysia, raised in Chicagoland, grew the fuck up in New York City, and now resides in the magical city of New Orleans with his, with his aesthetic powerhouse of a dog, Camden. He earned his MFA in creative writing at the New School and has been widely published in online and print publications, including the Lambda Literary Award-nominated anthology Takeout, Queer Writing from Asian Pacific America, the Lambda Literary Award-winning anthology I Do, I Don't, Queers on Marriage, and most recently, Love Jets, Queer Male Poets on 200 Years of Walt Whitman, as well as Berkeley Poetry Review, Floating Bridge Review, White Stag, 14 Hills, and the UK's Oxford Poetry and Agenda. Find out more about him at danielwklee.com. Shane Lucas is a joy-fueled hyper-queer shaped by 30 years of commitment to community organizing and creativity, as well as gratitude to be persistently learning from artists and activists how to fight for and embrace equity. In addition to performing across the country as a spoken word artist, including the National Slam Circuit, his written work has appeared in numerous books and publications, including Bullets and Butterflies, Revolutionary Voices, and Hoes, Hookers, Call Girls, and Rent Boys, professionals writing on life, love, money, and sex. With decades of award-winning experience in graphic design, art direction, user experience, and strategy, Shane Lucas is now the creative solutions specialist leading a great idea an agile, empathy-led, content-led, LGBTQ plus-owned agency powering brands for companies and organizations across the country. Learn more at shanelucas.com. All right, Daniel and Shane, welcome to the program. Thank you. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous. Hearing, 
It's so weird hearing our bios read out. Uh, it sounds so strange. Uh, I've known you for decades now, uh, so it's, it feels weird uh, hearing your bio read out, but you are uh, amazing. So I'm so glad to be joining you today. I'm, you know, I, I love this. I love that. Um, oh, I think it's almost almost two decades of like of knowing each other. And now we get to have a conversation about the craft um, and um, and really kind of engaging in that way for the first time. And really, other than sharing our each other's poems, like, you know, talking about the work, I mean, and the and the um, that's this is going to be fun, I think. Especially, I'm nervous, though. I am nervous, even though I've known you for so long. <laughs> no, I have, it, may, it may have been decades, but that's amazing because you're only 25. And I find that that is uh, uh, already uh, just a phenomenal. Okay, okay, maybe maybe not 25, but close. Come on. Um, and it is really a gift to connect with you about this book. Uh, you know, we haven't discussed it in detail, like you said. So I'm just excited to, to share with listeners a little bit uh, from Anatomy of Want. Um, would you be... Would you be able to share, uh, uh, maybe kick us off with a, a, a centerpiece of the collection? Um, sure. Uh, let's maybe the maybe the title poem. Um, I'm good with that one. Uh, yeah, let's 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 rock that roll. Um, Anatomy of Want. Alas, I have found you nowhere near those torpid cities as far as Kuching that I crossed like some martyr dragged down from paradise. Along the roads between hamlets built on whispers, the armless world seemed to applaud mockingly for all the rummaged geographies left beneath my heel. Perhaps you fancied me overturning the Mediterranean and Pacific, mining the grays of other men's ineloquent desires in search of you who made foolishness my vocation while I wrote missives to unnamed gods protesting your discretion to ride the downtown nine train while I silently sobbed on the uptown. But alas, I have found you where you, were, where you always were harbored in those strings, those no strings attached strings, uh, those umbilical strings that gave life to poems of mourning, poems of lust, poems of surrender, of retaliation, of rebellion, tomorrow's poems, yesterday's, and even that short provocative one born days ago for the first poet I ever kissed, whose red hair and fucking are other poems awaiting paper beds. There behind me, I drew your ghostly curtains and saw your irises grinning, transforming into all the eyes I have ever coveted. But your still obscure anatomy, safely guarded among those strings like a sultan, was aware of why I could never meet men and not insist on strings. Strings make men unordinary. They tow us along so, so men can catch us dreaming of them after dinner, leash us so we may crawl in and out of their voices. They leave faith unnecessary to believe an untimely reply more than suggests rejection of our affection and yet ascend friendship into a worthwhile consolation. Oh, the theater we freely give you, 
you who can afford to be smug in your house, who need not maps to return there. We're poorly equipped to sever your home, even at our most savage, even at our most reflective, brandishing mirrored shields at your best medusing guise. Yes, I know well the properties of stone, your gorgon scalp of strings made sculptures of men who refused me. All at once, I wish to massacre you and your conceited avatars when New York closes its polluted eyes without a beloved to watch me carry the moon and burn incense for your favor. So when the great sheets of light litter the world, he will write to me and I him more threaded poems doing little to escape you. Ah, powerful. <laughs> Thank I love you. it. <laughs> I, I uh, just these wonderful, like, especially, you know, the, the images of Medusa, the images of desire and, and, and I don't know, you, you just have such a knack again for, for just, just really being moving uh, in, in so many of your, your choices. And I think, um, again, you know, this, I've known you for years and this, this book was a long time coming. And while you've been published in, in so many places over the years, you know, poems like this, uh, you know, poems that, that really encapsulate such an intimacy, such a, what feels so personal. Um, I mean, what was it like putting these pieces together and deciding which, which of these moments really makes the cut? That's a really great question. And that I think that it's to any writer who's trying to construct a manuscript. A lot of these poems are, 15 more, 15 or more years old, um, written uh, some maybe like during undergrad, certainly um, before I uh, um, entered MFA program. Um, I just, it actually, there's kind of a, a little bit of a, a genealogy or lineage between this manuscript um, at Anatomy of Want and um, when I had started uh, putting together when I was in uh, high school, actually, um, that was called Poems in Love. And I just kind of like was determined, I had this, I had this conceit that I would be able to like publish a book of, not even conceit, it, I had this fantasy, <laughs> really, that I would be able to publish a book of poetry before the age of 25. Um, that was this insane, you know, uh, dream that I thought, yeah, I mean, what's, why, why do poets take so long to, to put a book out? I just, I just didn't understand. Um, and then in, in learning to write and so to speak, learning to craft words together, um, um, through undergrad, um, through the, the influencing, um, poets that I worked with at NYU, namely like Scott Hightower, who was also, um, like my advisor at NYU, and realizing that, you know, some some pieces weren't kind of up to up to snuff, and kind of having to, you know, the a manuscript is kind of this um, living document that you have to at some point, you know, abandon, and you're like, all right, I I just have to let this kind of version like uh, sit for a while and and hustle that, um, which I did for a better part of 15 years ago. Yeah, 15 years. Um, I finished my MFA in 2006 or so, and the resulting creative um, 
uh, manuscript I had produced to to graduate is kind of the the basis of uh, of this book. Um, I think you kind of, at least for me, I helped to have input from some other writers, but also um, kind of get a sense of a I don't know emotional landscape for the manuscript. Um, I'm not particularly interested in kind of in poetry that is um, leaves you cold, that is um, without feeling for. Um, uh, and so, what I was kind of looking at um, in in constructing this manuscript is kind of like what what are the notes how. just like romantic ones, but um, um, other urges, you know, other kinds of clinging. Um, yeah, and so I'm really kind of, um, you know, ecstatic and happy and surprised and everything when, when it was uh, accepted for a publication, again, for hustling it for so long and getting close. <laughs> I mean, it was like a quarterfinalist and a semifinalist a couple times for a different, different like book awards and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't know how much longer I can wait. <laughs> so, so let me ask you then, uh, this is the, this is sort of the creative meet um, from a few years ago. And, you know, this year is kind of a banner year as you get older. Uh, how is it looking back at this work? Like, you know, now that you're, you're sharing these stories, you look at the 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 you that was there when you were writing these moments capturing these moments does it see it differently um yeah yes and no i think um before the, the book was published i would kind of like continually look at these poems and again like try to tweak them and like and with the distance of time um be able to kind of look at the poem as um as the artifice that it is and, and less entangled with what I was perhaps feeling at the time. So I can hone in on the craft of, of it. Um, some of the, uh, like some of the Chazals um, was rewritten. Um, the, I think the one in the dark was radically revised 10 years or so later. And then after that, I was able to, you know, once the, the, the book was published, I was able to kind of like be settled with it and, and like kind of leave it in the past. Um, I look at the poems as kind of um, lovely um, reminders. Uh, they're kind of, um, they're kind of like, uh, like mile markers of nostalgia. Um, and I can look at them fondly, even if I kind of like, um grimace a little bit sometimes <laughs> i think that in general like we kind of look back at our lot you know past loves and everything and we kind of see mistakes and everything but you have to embrace um the embrace that history and that memory as well as the the artifact that you created as a result of either that experience or that person or your experience of a person, you know? I mean, that, I think that that sounds like, again, you know, being able to approach poetry in so many different ways. And I think you have to, uh, what I love that you bring to the craft and, 
And really one of the things about your work that really speaks out is that, um, you know, intentionality, that you really bring an intentionality and a, and a very, um, I don't want to say delicate, because I don't think it's so much precious as much as it is that sort of detailed piece of really going into the language and kind of kind of exploring it. And, you know, the cover image for me, the, the one by Eric Schwabel that, that, that leads off the book, um, really seems like a fitting introduction for the work, partially because it's fractured, um, it's reflective, and it's sexy, right? Like, that's kind of all these things at the same time. And I'm always struck throughout your work about the ways you're tackling how desire divides us from ourselves and sometimes from others. And is that, is that a fair way to approach the work in, in, in terms of that voice? Um, yeah, I think what, um, what my work and certainly what this manuscript has kind of, um, really honed in on is these like very quotidian and, um, like the minutia of, of a wanting. And I'm kind of always just trying to like hone in on that, those things, those elements, those gestures those moments and then like extrapolate or explode them and like see the, the, the love or the desire, the wanting, the pain, the sorrow, whatever that happens that are, um, that ripple through in those moments, you know, um, one of my poems kind of has this moment and I think that's very familiar to queer people. Um, which is when you uh, want someone, especially when you're younger and you just find your knees touching, you know, and it's just like, it just reverberates through your body. And I'm trying to um, recapture that moment that I think is pretty common, not just in my experience, but a lot of people's experience. And then, and it's a kind of a, a common signifier or um, experience that we all can like, you know, empathize or sympathize with. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's just a topic, I'm not sure if that's the right word, um, um, of, of my work. And certainly um, there's just, uh, it, it all seems kind of connected that way. I don't know if, you know, future, future work is going to be so um, um, heavy on this, on, on desire and want, probably. But I kind of think about it in terms of like, in music, um, actually I was thinking about it uh, like Adele when she was saying like about her most recent album, she's like, you know, I wrote this basically this broke up, uh, breakup album 21 and like how annoying would it be if all my breakup albums were about break, you know, all my albums were about breakup, you know? And so she's like, you know, 25 is really about like um, loving and forgiving and whatever myself, you know, and I, and I, I um, am uh, apprehensive and guarded in a way about um, being kind of one note about my work. And so, me and my next manuscript, I, I'm hoping it's it's a you know I'm I'm making an intention of kind of making it something different too. Well, we don't want you to leave desire all behind for sure. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, well, because, you know, again, I, I think um, it's so it's so integral in so many ways. And there are different ways to think about desire. And there's a couple of those that I just want to unpack. One of them, one of them is, is sort of your desire to, to embrace tradition and also challenge it. And I think that you said the I always refer to it as guzzles. But is it because is that the correct way to say them the, to, to pronounce that form? Can you explain to people kind of what, what a guzzle is and, and why 
why they're so potent as a literary form, you know, especially in the ones you've included in the, in the book? Yeah, I mean, I first fell in love with guzzles or chuzzles or, I mean, I'm not, I don't speak Farsi or Arabic per se, so I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't correct anyone's pronunciation per se, <laughs> but um, I first fell in love with them after I heard and read the ones um, written by the late and great uh, Aga Shahid Ali. Um, what I find so compelling about the form is um, uh, the, and it's something that actually I'm really interested in in general about poetry is this kind of economy of meaning. You have to, in the, in the form, each share, each couplet is supposed to be its own independent poem. So you have to create an idea in two lines. And then these two, these couplets are, are formally joined. They're kind of, I think, Shahid, um, had described them described them as as like pearls or stones in a necklace they're 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 connected by this this formal quality um like the the repeating rhyme uh the rhyme scheme or the meter um but they can be completely you know disparate the topics can be different you're kind of swept up by them like the musicality um um or the 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 compact, like I said, like um, images or ideas that are just in like two lines of poetry. So I find it to be like this, I found it to be like a very kind of creative prison. Um, it became a kind of gateway drug to other formal poems or poetry <laughs> in general, because I suddenly was like, oh, I'm also interested in sonnets and stuff like that. In fact, um, my poem in, my, in the book, Accounts of Lucifer is actually, um, um, a, ser a sonnet series you kind of probably don't clock it per se but like it's it's actually it is a sonnet series um so yeah it was a kind of gateway drug for other other formal formal poems and I, I think that challenge this other layer of challenge love trying to express something through this kind of like prison formal prison is really really um a rewarding um I mean, I love that because I think that's, that's really desire, right? Like desire through these constraints is actually where you get that sort of tension in that moment. Would you mind sharing one of the guzzles with us? Sure. Um, let's see. Let's go with um, In the Dark. In the Dark. Not just mine, but your intentions stain in the dark. Rechristened temptation gathers like rain in the dark. By what regime of lotions, genes, or God are such soft slopes justified in being vain in the dark? Smash the dinner plates for this extinguished distance. I'll pour the shots, darling, to drain in the dark. The clothes measure a man, says who, when patterns from paisleys to pinstripes are all plain in the dark. Oh, blameless boy of the bare way we failed you, you were with no wind, a weather vane in the dark. Wherever God's hiding the cure for your death sentence, 
For you, I'm overturning every grain in the dark. When all else is hijacked, I'll leave you the hymn. Their ear never loses the refrain in the dark. Is the dark pitiless to prolong the punishment? Reliving your whisper is worth the pain in the dark. Before caving in to lips pursed into apology, give me a chance to at least complain in the dark. Silence, be warned, is a consummate politician, an ally in light, bane in the dark. A toast to ignorance for prolonging bliss. Why sober thrill if we remain in the dark? I fall into fantasy. How do I know? You're saying this word yours, Daniel. Could you explain in the dark? Each one, I love, again, brilliant. And thank you for sharing that. Like, again, I think each one, I love that you referenced Daga uh, Shahid Ali and, and really his just a, a beautiful, beautiful work to, to reintroduce to many people uh, the power of, of this form. And this poem really does, like every, every stanza just really carries with it this beautiful weight and each one almost, almost again, I think coming back to that cover image to me, these pieces of fracture, each one is sort of tackling a different moment of this of this of this feeling of this experience of this of this desire and and i again i, I think it's just so powerful to me um and there really is so much sexiness in this book like there really is so <laughs> many moments of <laughs> what 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 i'm not you know and i would and i and i would fail to be transparent to to not acknowledge and thank you uh for a dedicated poem <laughs> but <laughs> but i am Thank you. And I, I, uh, I will not ask you to read that one, but I will blush is what will happen. I would be a lot of blushing. I don't mind um, reading it if that's what you're, if that's what you're <laughs> suggesting. Because you're already turning red to the viewer. Uh, <laughs> well, you mentioned the red haired earlier. So now like I'm like, as gingers are like, ah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You're all over this manuscript, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blush all over the place now is what's going to happen. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm not alone in there. I, I, and I think that there, there's so many men who've drawn out to your lingual skills. Um, and I think it's, it's again, it's a, it's a beautiful compendium of these different feelings and emotions. Um, so what is it about men and, and, and not only queer men, but really that gets, that, that gets pen to paper, like that gets you, I guess, moved in that way. Like, is there, is there something in you that feels like it needs to, to share this story? I mean, I think it's somewhat a common, a common um, source for anyone, but, um, you know, to write about love and desire and want. Um, but I think with, with queer, queer people, queer men, where our identities, our sexual identities, you know, call into question our feelings in a, um, in the world, it's a um, contentious, you know, confusing um, and fruitful kind of um, emotional space. And, uh, you know, we feel compelled to write it, whether it's in poetry or in other kinds of um, prose or narrative. Um, I just think that it's just, uh, it's a place that uh, one can easily go. I think the, the, 
the challenge is to kind of take that energy, those anxieties, those, those feelings and like, and then really craft it, you know, like to make sure you're navigating around, you know, something that can be holy saccharine or purple prose or something that's not particularly enlightening or something, you know, like I, I'm sure like you can like look at like some of your first poems that you've ever written, maybe your first love poem or something and be, and like, <laughs> and just like want to just gouge your own eyes out in your own ears kind of for, you know, what you can, what you put together. I mean, I'm pretty sure I could find like my first love poem and I know it was a sing-songy kind of ode to a girl. I mean, obviously pre-gay, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know like this just it was a it was a it was a you know a topic that i can like um, um the energy of like wanting something or something that i could kind of hone like to like sharpen and then be able to put it to paper um and even though i wasn't really kind of feeling you know really feeling this girl ultimately um it was enough of a kind of like creative force to like put something down, um, to write something. Um, and I think it's, like I said, it is, I think it is a pretty common um, inspiration, source of inspiration um, for, for people. Um, but to kind of like dive into it, I think um, um, queer people have a, hopefully to a degree, less of kind of like a level of self-reflection that is demanded of ourselves um, and that we can like, investigate that and then translate that into 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 a poem so um in that space though isn't yeah. there also liberation like do you feel also a sense of liberation around it and also i am the inside of me is just dying because i did not know the high school you but i can just imagine the high school you scrawling out junior high junior high junior me. I, you scrawling yes. out these sort of little poems i remember the name of my first poem and I, I, I quickly moved on to, to, to writing much better poems. But I remember- What was the name of it? What was the title of it? I can tell you my first poem. <laughs> so embarrassing. Uh, mine was, Ah, the Sweet Beauty of Death. It was- It was every bit of the overdramatic, like just, you know, I came out of English lit classes and was like, I can do this. <laughs> I go ahead and write this just grotesque, you know, pubescence <laughs> you know, sprawled out on a page. Right. I still have it somewhere. Like somewhere I still have it scrawled, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, basically <laughs> what happens at that age is like you, you fillet yourself open and then you insist on walking around and dumping your innards to everyone to see and like come here and be a vulture to my interior. But... <laughs> you know, pay attention, you know? So it's, it kind of doesn't really matter that the quality of your guts are, you just like want someone to like, you know, like pay attention and peck, right? So yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I don't know if you actually shared that poem with anyone and maybe you did and, and certain, I did. I actually shared my first poem with- Oh no, mine is locked up. Like it's in a notebook that uh, probably will get burned when I die. What is probably should be? when what is so what was your first poem what was the name of your it was called and i'm gonna i'm gonna say her name uh it was called maria maria Aww. and i'm friends with 
this person's still, I mean, at least I still, I'm, you know, connected to her. Uh, she's, I mean, I've, I've known her since elementary school. It's called Maria Maria. And I'll give you the first two lines. Maria, Maria, you're just like me. I wish I could have you for eternity. That was the first. Oh. Take, find a wooden stake and just like plunge it into your heart facsimile. It's just so over the top. You throw a dance beat under that and you have, you have a Lady Gaga song. Can I I sell that to Rihanna, right? Let's like, let's work this out. Like maybe I can make money as a poet after all by selling my old poems from like 12 years old. And it's funny you mentioned that though, because poetry has been so integral to your life. Like it's really, ever since I've known you, um, this is just a piece of who you are. And so again, I've seen this book in print and having it out there for people to read and, and, and sort of hear your voice. Um, how have you incorporated poetry throughout your life? Which, is, which has had many different you know, variations and you've lived in many different cities now. Like, why is it so important to you? Um, it's interesting because I'm actually, um, you know, I'm not very prolific. Uh, at least I hadn't been. I was in Seattle for five years before I moved here to New Orleans. And I wrote like maybe five poems in five years. It was just as beautiful as that city is. It's kind of, um, it was um, really detrimental to my writing creativity or just actually creativity in general. And then when I moved here to New Orleans in five weeks, I wrote five poems. So my output was so much better. And I think, I'm not sure why that was and poetry for the most part what has historically been an outlet for me to kind of reconcile or understand your my 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 suffering (laughs) um my depression and stuff like that um and I guess in Seattle I was just too happy or something and uh so I wasn't really writing a lot um and oddly I'm very happy here and I I still I, I still you know, was able to write, but I, I, in terms of topic, I've been able to write about other things. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I'm really actually promiscuous in terms of like what kind of arts that I'm, I kind of engage in because I initially, I'm, I've been writing poems since like uh, elementary school or so. And, um, it's always kind of been an outlet for me to kind of like put in writing and then understand reflect reflectively you know who or or what I was thinking and feeling but initially I had entered NYU or gone to NYU for photography I wanted to I wanted to make images um and uh so I kind of always had this um approach to creativity as as I can do anything as long as I can kind of produce or whatever, produce it. And I partly, I think I stick with writing is it's some of the kind of least expensive ways to, <laughs> to express oneself. That's certainly one of it. I definitely don't need film, at least back then, you know, you needed paper and chemicals and stuff like that. This is the, obviously before the digital age um, to, to, to create work. But um I think there is something really uh, um, challenging, interesting, and powerful about, you know, taking these, you know, this interiority 
and crafting it so that it can um, communicate and become an experience um, for another person, not just like something that you read and like you can, you know, digest and, you know, communicate something um, specific or something interesting or, you know, um, or, or, or incite. I mean, to me, what makes a poem great is when the poem becomes an experience as well. You know, like the first poem I ever was really moved by was um, uh, Aga Shahad Ali's um, Lennox Hill. It's a canzone, I think it's called a canzone. It's a, a, a poem that he wrote about his mother's death. And I remember first reading this, I was at um, the Barnes and Noble on Union Square in Union Square in, um, in New York. And I'm starting to cry in the store. And I'm like, I need to find a corner to not be this like weeping mess. But like, as, as it, as it devastated me, I was like, that was a fucking great poem. Like it <laughs> just destroyed me. And I was like, that is the kind of, that's the kind of poem I want to write. That's the kind of poetry I want to write. I want, I want to write lines and poems that devastate, whether it's from joy or, or sadness or whatever. And this is what like this kind of economy of meaning, which, you know, connects to guzzles that I'm really interested in. And like, how do you put so much in like an image or an idea that it just levels you, you know? Um, yeah. And well, so. your book is filled with many of those moments. Like there are just really compelling and some, some of them very short. Like there's a, oh, I'm, I'm gonna look up here. There's a piece in here that is like four lines. I mean, remember, yeah, the gospel of Mark, right? Like that is just this, just beautiful. There's another one, uh, I'm trying to remember that. There's a horoscope, I think. and um that's the one i'm probably a little biased about right yes so that's, <laughs> <laughs> there are these ones that you have that are that are just these really sort of just little nuggets that that like you said economy of words that just that just punch in the gut and and at the same time just feel you know and i i don't know if this is what you're like at times like a connection but slightly disconnected um and it's <laughs> like this this like floating over the moment at the same time. Um, is there one that really like sticks out in the book for you? Is there one that you're like, every time I read this, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Is there well, really I mean, there are certainly couplets and guzzles um, that, 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 that I'm, I'm, I even impress myself <laughs> where I'm like, oh yeah, I fucking wrote that shit. You know, um, uh, I think gospel of Mark is actually a great, uh, is a, great example too. Um, it is four lines and I'll read it. Um, um, Gospel of Mark. And then you stayed requiring a new metaphor to detail the danger. Glorious as a halo, how you make men pray in a noose of light. Now what people don't, unless you read it, the pray isn't P-R-A-Y, which is what you would think in Gospel of Mark. It's saying it's P-R-E-Y, right? It's how you make men pray in a noose of light. Like 
taking just a, a, a homophone, um, changing the A to an E and like radically changing the, the understanding of the poem or creating a lot of space to um, kind of get a, a feeling of what that means, how you make men pray in a noose of light. Also taking light as something like constricting, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know where that came from. I just had like this moment of like inspiration or genius or whatever you want to call it. I mean, the Mark in that gospel of Mark is also a very specific person. I didn't write the dedication to him, but like, like I had someone very specific, someone specific in mind. Um, so I have to ask, I, so I just, because some of these are written to people, do most of the people who are in this book know that they have a poem about them? Or are you, because I've got a couple of poems that there are a couple of people who don't know, even though they're mentioned <laughs> in them, I don't talk to them anymore. But there's like one called <laughs> Charles Got Fat, which was just really making myself feel better <laughs> about an ex-lover who I just, I'm sure is not like this. He's not as, but he was always so pretty. And I was like, oh, I just, mm, I just, I, but I can never share that with him. Uh, but, but do you have, like, have you shared this with, with, with some of the, uh, I guess, people that are written about? I would say 99 to 100%. I can't, I'm, I'd have to, like, double check and, like, but I, I would say, like, 99% of the poems that are about someone or inspired by those persons have read them or I've shared that, shared with them. Um, because, I mean... I, I don't know, somewhere along the lines, I decided that there's no, uh, well, the point of like, you know, to a degree the point of poetry is being able to share it and there's nothing more audacious and perhaps brave than, than like, no, this is the adult version of like, you know, flaying oneself and letting your guts like be pecked by everyone, right? Like, this is a poem and I wrote this about you. Um, and, uh, you know, it may not be how I feel about you now or whatever, but, um, uh, you know, this was kind of a real thing. Um, yeah, I would say a, a good, yeah, like 99% of the, the people who've, who I've either dedicated these, their poems to, or, or, you know, the traces of, uh, traces of those people are in poems that I, I, I've shared with them. I think that I'm perhaps more audacious than, uh, than most, where I'm just like, how you like me now? <laughs> <laughs> well, and our listeners might not know you have you have. I'm not going to say flayed yourself, but we will say marked yourself. That they may not know about your tattoo of Sadaj, uh, but I know that word has always meant so much to you. Um, and there are moments in the collection where you really revel in in connection, but there's obviously a lot of desire here, and there's a lot of again, sort of a disconnected sense of desire, or, or at least to, to, to sort of achieving that. Can you share what Saudaj means and maybe how it impacts the power and the, and the movement in your writing? Yeah, I think what's so, and why it's such a, a, when I first kind of discovered the word, this was as a result of being completely in love with and obsessed, in love with um, a, a, a friend of mine, this is way back when, you know, during undergrad and uh um he's he's half brazilian and so i just like became infatuated with all things brazilian and especially bossa nova and bossa nova you know a lot of portuguese um brazilian Cape Verdean, um they sing about saudade and saudade has a particular resonance for me because i feel that like my 
my relationship to desire um, uh, is um, somewhat reflected in the concept. Um, being a Buddhist and understanding desire to be um, an entanglement. Um, saudaj is a kind of entanglement. Saudaj, how it was once exp explained to me quite beautifully by um, a, bar a barista actually in the West Village many years ago. Um, he said, or she's, uh, yeah, he said, um, saudage is a, is a desire for someone or, or, and longing, uh, an, an, maybe a nostalgia, um, uh, for someone who is left and you don't know if they're of a return. And there is a kind of theory that the, um, um, that the word comes from, um, the sailors who left during the age of discovery and their, the, those, uh, their wives and girlfriends and loved ones that they left behind didn't know whether or not they would ever return. Um, so they would have saudage for them. They don't know if they're ever going to return, but it, it's not, it's no longer a source of, of pain. It's no longer a source of suffering, um, because they have to continue on with their lives. <clears throat> so that's kind of like my feeling towards desire in, in, in a way, like, um, I, I see it as an entanglement. Um, it, it flees me. Um, uh, but, uh, and I kind of, um, return to it. Um, and, and these occasions in poems, um, in art. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, just like love or desire, whatever. Saudade specifically has a very kind of particular um, conceptual resonance in me and, and the work and, and how I understand desire in general, like as something that, that I'm using, if you don't, you don't know if they'll return, whether it's a specific object of desire in terms of a person or a kind of a general feeling. Um, yeah. Was there, is there, uh, so I, I, we could keep this conversation on for a long time because I have lots of other questions around your saudage. <laughs> and the the way in which an you you sort of share that is there a poem that you you would like to close with that you feel maybe encapsulates um, some of that within the within the book because I I mean I could think of several in there that I think are just again just just gorgeous representations of um, in a sense not just desire but really like what that what that means uh, in terms of that connected connectedness but also such a confidence and a, and a peace, peacefulness in some ways with it. So um, uh, I would love to other, share that with other people and, um, and uh, close out our, our time. Thank you again for taking time to share with me. It's always exciting to talk about your work. You are such a talent. Um, and I'm so grateful to have known you all these years and watched you evolve and develop and be the just powerful person that you are today. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that um, and sharing this work. Thank you, yeah, thank you, Shane. I'm so happy to you know share this conversation or have this conversation with you. Um, um, it's so, such a privilege, um, and uh, you bring such insights and great questions as well. Um, I, I'll read "Death of Saudage." Um, the why it's called death of, uh, death of saudages is because in Portuguese, to rid yourself of saudage, you have to matar, you have to kill the saudage. 
Um, that's how they say it in Portuguese. And so this is called Death of Saudade, and I think it's a good way to kind of close us out. Death of Saudade. One by one, the watches expire as though they had not been stamping the cadence of time, but erasing the seconds to at last. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you, Shane, okay. for being a fantastic interlocutor. That was such a good conversation. Wow, you guys covered a lot of ground. I love <laughs> all the juvenilia stuff. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of close us out, but I just wanted to ask if either of you had any last things you wanted to say before we say goodbye. Uh, Daniel, get some more books out. Uh, I think that's what I want. I, I, I look forward to some future volumes of your work. And uh, I already follow you, but I encourage everyone else to get out there and follow you uh, and all of your social channels and learn more about what you're bringing to this world. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I am working on a manuscript loosely. It definitely has a little bit more of a, I would say, social um, bent, um, social awareness, um, some older poems, but really kind of constructing it to be kind of at two things run right, two things right now, um, something a little bit more socially aware, um, and also a little bit more of a kind of love, love letter to New Orleans, even though I've only been here since December. I just kind of I'm just in love with this place. And so, and it's been so inspiring that I just can't like help but want to write about, uh, write about it. So um, yes, and again, thank you, Shane and Maddie, Skylight Books, um, and for having me here on the Skylit Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. All right, we're gonna say goodbye, but um, it was so great to be here with you both today. Um, and Daniel's book is The Anatomy of Want. You can order that from Skylight Books on our website, www.skylightbooks.com. And uh, we hope you will uh, keep an eye on Daniel for his forthcoming collection soonish, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to write most of it, but there, it's it's starting, and maybe in like ten or fifteen years, who knows? <laughs> be patient, but it'll be worth the wait. <laughs> and pick up an Abby. All right. All right. So we're going to say goodbye. Um, thanks again for listening and we'll see you on the next Skylit. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.